Welcome to Meowcore, the uh, podcast where I, Laura, show my friend Panya the music that I'm into, which is mostly hard rock and heavy metal. How are you doing, Panya? I'm not hungry anymore. I had a snack. That is very good. It was you had tasty. a trail mix. I had trail mix. What is a trail mix? I don't think we call it that in my country. So trail mix can be a lot of different things, but this one is peanuts, raisins, almonds, cashews, and M&Ms. There's M&Ms in your mix of nuts? Yes. It's supposed to be, trail mix is basically supposed to be like a quick energy booster kind of thing. So it's, it's the protein of the nuts and the quick sugar from the M&Ms. Other people, other ones will use dried fruits besides raisins. They'll have like uh, cranberries or all kinds of things, dried apricots or, um, gosh, I can't even remember what all the ones are. Uh, I used to, I've never seen one with dates. When I made homemade trail mix, I would put sunflower seeds and uh, coconut flakes in mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The M&M's though, that's a good idea. Okay. Anyway. I would also put Reese's Pieces mm-hmm. in there because peanut butter. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, dear listeners, you may hear some traffic or maybe a train passing because my air conditioner is broken and my window is open. Here in Bulgaria, we we had 32 degrees by the sea. And we're going to talk about the sea today because we're going to listen to your air heap. Whereas I'm a rich American and my air conditioning works perfectly and it's also raining outside, so it doesn't matter. And I wouldn't have Aww. the weather, I wouldn't have the window open anyway. Of course, I also wouldn't have the window open because I guarantee you, Jonna would try to go through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have some kitty spirits that may want to escape. Yep. Okay. So Uriah Heap is a band that formed at the end of the 60s in the UK, and it got very, very popular in um, the eastern part of Europe, in Germany and east of Germany. Uh, People love Uriah Heep. People who don't know much about metal or hard rock know what Uriah Heep is and know a few songs usually. Don't know what they did to become so popular in this end, but it's a good thing. In the West, people say they're underrated, so let's scratch the itch for an underrated band. I know I've heard of them, but I don't know that I've actually heard any songs by them. I just know the name. Mm-hmm. Mm, let's start with July morning. I say let's find it on Spotify because it's not the, the videos are not that interesting. Okay. And what was I going to? I've told you about this holiday that we made for ourselves in Bulgaria that we call July morning, right? You mentioned it. I didn't mm-hmm. really understand what it was, except that apparently you're supposed to play this song. Yeah, you uh, either sleep on the beach, you camp out, or you get up really early to go to the beach and meet the sunrise on the first day of July. And the the moment you see the sun starting to peak, you start playing this song. That would require waking up really early. Ew. Yeah, 
and I don't really want to sleep on the beach, which is the other option, so I've never done it. So really lots of people do this? Or you don't yeah, know the because beach... the beach is full of people? Beaches are pretty full, yeah. All all over our Black Sea coast. And That's the sun right you know, honestly, sun's on the really cool. Mm-hmm. It is nice. And the sun rises over the water? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because oh, wow. the Black Sea is east of us. I have got to come out and visit you and see that stuff. Yeah, well, with you, I'll just have to get up really early. I don't know that <laughs> I'm going to come and do the July morning thing. I just have to come visit you. <laughs> mm. You know perfectly well I'm not a morning person. Yeah. Okay. Well, then right. we're not going to strain. Okay. And uh, anything else? No, it's just just picture a sunrise over uh, over the sea. And by the way, th the last three minutes of the song are just one guitar riff repeating and the keyboard player having fun over it. Okay. If you get bored during the last three minutes, you can come back earlier if you want. That's true. If you want to listen, this you is a 10 minute, 34 second song. So that's pretty mm -hmm. long. All right. Mm -hmm. let's, let's go. Let's listen to July Morning by Uriah Heep. I'm not really sure where I was for the last three minutes. Did you go to psychedelic land? Apparently! Wow! <laughs> wow. Nice. Wow. I don't I don't know what that place was. There are like I, wow, is that what LSD is? Uh hmm. Oh when we get to Steve Vai you'll see. <laughs> okay. There I know for sure. No, he was on LSD when he did when he did a particular song. That's not really what I was thinking. But okay, <laughs> okay. Um, although again, that makes me think like uh, Led Zeppelin, like Black Sabbath. In a lot of ways, I don't think of that as heavy metal. I think of that as hard rock. Like that's the hard rock my dad grew up with. Yeah. So I agree. I don't. I mean, I don't think it's bad, just... Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call it heavy metal either. Yeah, I don't I don't know. But th there's like ten versions, I swear to God, of that song on Spotify. Yeah. How do I even yeah. find the right one? Ah! Yeah, it was tough. That's why I gave you the album. They've had at least three different singers. I wanted to, you to hear the original singer, the original version. Okay. That we play at the beach. Okay. It was very good. I liked it. I, I could listen to that. If there are more songs like that by them. I will be putting this on my playlists. Okay. I'll get you more songs like that. Okay. Mm -mm -mm. And uh, yeah, that's July morning. These really nice, hopeful lyrics about starting a new day. Yeah, that was the other thing I noticed is like people are all like, oh, heavy metal is all about Satan and demons and bad things. And I'm going, no, half the songs I've listened to at least have been about happiness or looking for love or moving on from something hard with a hopeful perspective or like yeah okay there are songs about satan we we listened to black sabbaths uh what was it nib no no the one about the bible 
and NIB Bible also. Bible Black. Yeah, Bible Black. And so, yeah, there is some there. And yet, even NIB is about, that's the one that was about the devil falling in love, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, I don't, I don't get it. Look, yeah. just, just because people wear black and the guys have long hair and the girls have short hair and it all sticks up like Goku, I just, whatever. Okay, <laughs> listen to what you want to listen to. Yeah. Okay, yeah. This reminds me of a thing I wanted to mention here. On social media, on TikTok, on Facebook, there's this mood among metalheads where we try to frighten people with our music. And that's not my approach. What's I the want point my friends that? to like the bands that I listen to. Yeah. If I know you, you're not into music that is very loud and intense, I'm going to find the ballads by this band and I'm going to play you that. Actually, wait a minute. I think I do follow a little bit. It's... How do I put this? It's, um... It's like a backlash. It's... It's, oh, you think we're scary and dangerous because we wear black and we have ripped clothes and we stick safety pins in our skin or whatever. Well, here, then I'm going to show you all the really scary bits. So maybe you'll leave us alone. It's like putting up a spiky wall. So it, it's it's like being a porcupine. You know, and porcupines yeah. are actually really cute and they make cute noises and they're really sweet creatures, but wow, they're prickly. Yes. I like being associated with a porcupine. I'm all for this. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it is it is a reaction to the way we are um judged and yeah, and the prejudice people don't even think, don't even try to listen to see what this music is about this prejudice and we do react to it sometimes and so but social it... media takes everything very very too, far too hard and people have memes like um i played this horrifying song to a friend who says they listen to everything to test them and they were terrified i mean i listen to everything yeah i guess that's one way to if a person is willing to look past that when you play them the song and say, okay, what else has this group done? Then I guess maybe you feel like you can trust them or I don't know. People are strange. Yeah, but people mean um, they play they play you songs that start with pig squeals because there are metal vocalists that actually sound like pigs. And to me, if a person says, I listen to everything, I'm not tempted to test them i'm thinking this person wasn't hasn't been exposed to a lot of different music or this person isn't very sensitive to music that's why they say i listen to everything i don't know but i've to never me it's not an invitation to scare them i've never really been inclined to to test people and see if oh they're really interested in the thing that i'm interested in that way you know, I uh -huh. usually just jump in and go real excitedly, oh, do you know about this and this and this and this? And it's not even like gatekeeping, you know, oh, you have to know this to belong. It's just me being excited and talking about the things that are my favorite. Yeah. Let's, I hope we're all free to do that. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to uh, a song called Lady in Black. I want to check this out on YouTube. Okay. Um, 
and the, it, when you write Uriah Heep Lady in Black, you should see a video that says in brackets video clip. It's a recording from a German TV channel. Yeah. You'll see a long-haired gentleman singing. This is uh, uh -huh. the keyboard player, Mr. Ken Hensley. This time, it's a different guy from the their usual singer. And it's from a later time, but the the audio that it, that they're playing in the studio for this playback, because it's a playback show, is is from Uriah Heep's second album. So let's go listen to Lady in Black. That was really fun. That was like one of those that you think of like, how do I put this? Like this, there's this image in, in later generations uh, head, I think, of, of the 70s in particular as this sort of everybody just gets together and holds hands and has long hair and sways and, and sings songs like that together. Like yeah. that's that's the image, and then the camera yeah. flipped over to the guy in black, the one guy in the band with short hair, and I'm going, Bowie, because I mean oh, he man. looks, but he looks very different. He's got the makeup on and he has the shorter hair, and he's wearing black, and so like you can see that he fits in, but he looks different. Yeah, he, that's, he the, that's the second out. singer they had. We'll hear, they will hear him later. And that was that was, and he's got the. Uh, uh, the earrings uh -huh. the, the tassel earrings which I thought was really neat yeah. and as usual with me I got distracted by the, the actual video and I was sitting there going okay he's bored by singing oh no there's a smile okay and then they're all smiling and laughing at each other <laughs> and I'm, I'm wondering yeah. if maybe the, the, the thing with playback is that they don't feel like they can move and dance around because what if they're not at the mic when they're supposed to be singing but it still sounds perfect and it's like playback is stupid yeah it could be that I rock bands know. have always had a lot of fun in studios when they have to do playback they they've been also they've done all sorts of monkey tricks but these I'm guys sure. are just smiling well they're in, they're smiling and they're dancing and the camera pulled back and there was all people sitting around their feet clapping and that was that was fun mm-hmm and um, I guess he had a, a a meeting with a spiritual guide, this lady in black that gave him some wisdom. I mean, helped him ease his anger. The idea of meeting someone along the path like that is this goes back to what we were talking about in the Black Sabbath episode of the the folk influences, and that kind of thing in particular is an element of Celtic folk music and and Celtic folk stories that you would be wandering about in the empty lands and for whatever reason and encounter someone that's the only time you encounter them and they're strange and wild and maybe a little fey or maybe completely fey and they say some things to you that clarify the space you're in in your mm -hmm. head hmm okay nice and he says, I begged her, give me horses to trample down my enemy. So ego was my passion to devour this waste of life. So he was very angry at um, mankind, I guess. I mean, 
Given the era, that's not really surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now we're going to go listen to a song about the importance of fantasy. It's called Return to Fantasy. Okay. Let's see. I think there's a nice video on YouTube where you can see the singer who's doing this. Their first singer, David Byron, who they lost, they say, to ill health and too much alcohol. There's one here labeled Best Version. Oh. And it shows a guy in a red top and fluffy hair, very 70s hair. Again with the LSD at the end. Ah. <laughs> if if it's the keyboards, it's all the way through this LSD. A little, but not the same. <laughs> but that's true. This one very much had uh what is the word I'm looking for? Synthesizer sound keyboards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. mustache! Oh, man. <laughs> it was a very 70s mustache. Very <laughs> 70s mustache. I think my dad had a stash like that back then. I agree. And the pants were very tight around the butt. But not so tight below the knees. Mm -hmm. But they weren't decorated. They were plain. They yeah, were plain. there was no dragons on them. Yeah. And, and the little top was really... Yeah, no, that was great. But if I don't pay attention to, you know, the performers and listen to the music, I didn't like that as much as I liked the last two, but that was that was really good. Um, nice. Even though it was live and he wasn't always singing the melodies, sometimes he'd just speak it and... Yeah, but I kind of yeah. liked that. It felt like it worked well. It yeah. felt like it was good. Yeah. He said he was talking about people sinking and he just sat on the floor. Very expressive. Yes. Well done. The, my favorite bit from the lyrics is the, the brush and pen describe what it is inside that will set your mind thinking while the others are sinking. So you take trips into fantasy land. Some people don't, but your life is better because you have fantasy. Yeah. Which... You know, ask anybody who reads fantasy, especially if they're fond of the kind of fantasy, like literal fantasy sci-fi that was published in the 70s. We're talking like Asimov and Heinlein and such. That's that's kind of what they feel like. And they, mm -hmm. although we do tend to refer to Tolkien as the father of modern fantasy, Really, modern fantasy and sci-fi, Tolkien is more like God. It's it's more distant than that. Although, you know, if you really poke around in the history, it's much older than that. But Tolkien is, is, is like a distant ancestor. And then Asimov and Anne McCaffrey and Heinlein and uh, Arthur Clarke and Carl Sagan were, those were our, our parents. Those are the roots. Mm-hmm. That's what my mom had in her library. Yeah. Okay. Return to fantasy. So we've been listening to mostly David Byron. I never left. <laughs> 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 I 
We've been listening to songs uh, from the David Byron era when the singer was David Byron, except for Lady in Black where the keyboard player was singing. Um, one last song from this era, it's called Rain and it's from an album called The Magician's Birthday. Oh, here we go. Here's a remastered version on Spotify. Let's so go. Let's listen to Rain by Uriah Heep. Even the cats had an opinion on that, apparently. What did the cats say? Meow, meow. <laughs> I didn't say I could decipher the opinion, just that they had one. Yes. Good. That was that was a ballad. There was no metal in that at all. None. Yes. It was good, but it was not metal. It was it was it was you expect mm -hmm. to see a dude carry a stool out onto the stage and him and his acoustic guitar sit down and sing until you start crying. Yeah. And everybody holds and he... hands and sways and somebody light somebody holds up their lighter or something. Exactly. And he even said the word shame. A lot. How often can you hear that in in someone's lyrics in I don't know in the lyrics of a macho band. Even though they were not macho, they were like seventies boys in different wearing different colours. And uh, that's the end of the David Byron era. They release him because they're not getting along that well. And uh, they get themselves a new singer. His name is John Dorton. You saw him. He was the guy in black wearing makeup. Oh. He joins and the first album with him comes out in 1975. So let's go to YouTube and see another playback show. But at least you can sing. You can see them and enjoy their interesting faces and clothes. Okay. Sympathy. And uh, it's a video by Top Pop. Wow, his voice. Quite good, right? That was very amazing. manly. No, just so flexible. I like I don't yep. manly, I don't care. But wow. Wow. You know, it would have been great. I would have loved to hear a duet with him and Ronnie James Dio. Can yeah. you imagine? That would have been amazing. I've never heard of such a thing, though. I don't think it exists, but wow, that was, that was nice. But Aww. when I say manly, there's, there's something in his voice when he sings low that makes me think that. Or is it just, I don't know. I, I, that may be just you. I'm not thinking about it that way. Although that does correlate with something I was thinking toward the end. So, like, I don't know if this is the case in other countries, but I know that, especially in the United States, there's been this sort of growing trend, or there had been for a while, that musicians are supposed to be attractive. They're supposed to um, fall into whatever is considered most attractive at that time, which is one of the reasons why heavy metal musicians are often not not 
considered as highly rated because the musicians themselves, the way that they dress or the way that they present themselves doesn't fall into what's uh, commonly acceptable. And I'm thinking about that in relation to Black Sabbath, in relation to (laughs) um, Led Zeppelin, in relation to Uriah Heep. And I'm like, I'm looking at these guys and going, even in the 70s, I don't think these guys were considered that attractive, were they? They've got receding hairlines, they're wearing the (laughs) silly mustaches that, okay, they were a little bit popular. As I said, my dad had one, but still, you know, like they don't, they're not afraid to show that they're older. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a contrast to what I'm familiar with where you have, you know, like, not that I necessarily think that Damiano, what's his last name, mm-hmm. is is, un, be- is unattractive or anything, but a lot of what he's doing, a lot of what other artists are doing, Taylor Swift it's not it's become even less about the music and more about the visual presentation what do they look like what are they wearing the makeup the fancy hairdos the you know all of that i remember i mean that's why um lizzo that's why lizzo Mm -hmm. and adele have been such big things not just because of their music but because they are not only musicians who refuse to attempt to package away what's considered their faults, but they're female musicians who refuse to package that away, which just makes it twice as bad. How dare they? Yeah. Yeah. And it just struck me that that must have changed sometime during my life, although it's entirely possible that it hasn't changed as much as I perceive it to have done because... I quit paying attention to pop music about 15 years ago for starters. <laughs> so for all I know, the, the I mean, it's true that the Beatles were considered to be very, very attractive in their time. And that was part of their appeal. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, trying to think of the pretty people in music in the beginning of the seventies. There must've been some, but that would have assumed that I paid attention who was pretty compared to my hard rock bands i don't know maybe it wasn't so polished and packaged maybe and glittery as it is today it's very glittery today Mm. and uh, and about john lawton's voice maybe there's something else maybe there's some sort of authority that i'm feeling something um he sounds like he's strong in a way I don't know. It might just be... So I say manly. I know that a lot of the musicians that you have introduced me to their music tend to have baritone voices instead of tenor voices. So maybe that's it. Maybe that's just it. You you have a preference for voices, Mm. male voices in the lower range. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's what it is. Maybe the thing that we call badass... I don't I think that has anything to do with it. <laughs> I think a man with a tenor voice or a man singing falsetto can be just as badass. I'm not and he did do he did do a falsetto at some point. He did a, a fantastic very, falsetto there at the end. It was very nice. Some roughness on it, which is not what we often hear. Falsettos are pretty smooth usually. But he kind of screamed it. But it was falsetto, which is cool. 
early yeah. metal screaming. So there he is, John Lawton, who uh, in his last years moved to Bulgaria because he liked it here, like a lot of British people did. And he died here in 2021 at the end of June. He couldn't do July morning with us. Aww. And uh, But before that, every every year he was on the beach singing July morning. Oh, that's really sweet. Mm-hmm. That maybe that's part of why it became a thing because the singer was there doing it. Oh, it became a thing decades before he moved here. Huh. It was David Byron's song. It was like from the 70s. Um you will get different answers if you ask different people, but some say it's a hippie thing. Some say it's uh, anti an anti-communist thing, rebellion, July morning. Mm, but John Lawton liked it, and he sang it for us too. Because David Byron's gone. He couldn't come. He died in 85, I think. Mm. That's still so really let's nice. do... Mm, mm, let's do a last one with uh, John Lawton, and it's called The Dance. It is from an album called Innocent Victim. You'll see the cover. On the cover, there's a snake with human eyes. I love and hate this cover at the same time. The dance. Oh, wow, that's a snake. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, ooh, that's creepy. That's with creepy. blue human eyes. That makes it creepy. Do not, no, <laughs> no, gonna scroll down. Can't look at that. All right, look at let's, the lyrics. let's listen to the dance by Uriah Heave. There's a thing that I had been thinking about for, oh God, years and years and years when listening to music. That some songs, when you listen to the lyrics, when you listen to the way the singer presents the lyrics, you get whole sentences out of it. And there's no, there's no break in the sentences, I guess. Mm -hmm. Whereas with a song like this, there's... If you just read the lyrics, you can get whole sentences, whole ideas. But the way that he sings it, there are these pauses between mm -hmm. uh, phrases. There are these pauses mm -hmm. between phrases that almost... I don't know if this was intended, but it almost changes your interpretation. Yeah, he leaves you to think about a line, and then he gives you the next... But even the next line is not necessarily separate from the line he just gave you. Mm -hmm. It's like, you get these lyrics in the beginning, no one knows what makes this picture so inviting to those who stand outside it. But he doesn't sing it that way at all. Even though that's clearly a whole sentence and, and all together, there are breaks in there. In the yeah. way that he sings it, breaks in the phrasing, where you'll get two or three seconds of the the instrumental and yet and I don't really know what I'm trying to get at here just that that's a thing that's always struck me that there are some singers that break up the phrasing of the lyrics like that quite a lot and there are other singers who don't at mm -hmm. all yeah and it's a it's a chill song and uh, 
maybe if you're enjoying a painting and you need more time with that painting, it's nice to have a chill song to go with it. Yeah, it also makes me think of uh, people laying back with weed or something. That kind of <laughs> chill song where you've you've got half an idea and you spit it out in these slow phrases with pauses between them, and they maybe mm -hmm. don't kind of sync together, but not exactly. Like that's what it makes me think of. Yeah, maybe <laughs> the weed was present. Maybe I mean it was the seventies. Lord only knows what what was involved in the creation of some of this music. Uh huh. Yeah, that's true. That snake is looking at me. I can't. I can't accept that. That's creepy. Mm -hmm. you... I scrolled yeah, back to where yeah. I could see to where yeah. I could see the, and that was. I don't like that album cover at all. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's not your fault. You didn't design it. I'm so sorry because there's images that stick with me that I wish I'd never seen. I hope oh, that's Lord, not. Oh Lord, yes. No, that won't hang. I hope around. it doesn't haunt you. No, it won't okay. haunt me. Okay. It won't haunt me. I'm just not going to look at it. I'm going to look at cats. Okay. So, yeah, that's your uh, heap. They uh, have been here for 50 years and they did, um, they played Vakin Festival either yesterday or the other day. I can't remember when it started. Uh, it mm. started at least yesterday. Mm hmm. Probably, it was probably yesterday. It's all, the clips are already on YouTube. And um, they never. They, they took a few hiatuses, but there was always some version of Uriah Heap. And now there's only one uh, remaining member of the of, of this Uriah Heap that I played you, the guitarist. Hmm. Starting and that's to, Uriah Heap for you. They're starting to have the, the uh, Theseus' ship uh, problem. Hmm? Which problem? So there's a paradox that is commonly known as the Theseus's ship paradox and it basically goes like this. If you have a ship and the rudder breaks and you replace, replace the rudder and the sail gets torn and you replace the sail and the mast falls down in a storm and you replace the mast and the planks on the side get messed up because barnacles or stove in and you replace those. After you've replaced all of these things, is the ship you have still the original ship? Yeah. Yeah, we asked this question in Metal a lot. It was recently asked with Pantera. Yeah. Yeah, it. it's you have so you have this original band and if you replace the members one by one until the band that's playing no longer has any of those original members, is it still the same band? Yeah. Even if one or two are left, we still ask the question. Mm-hmm. I don't have an answer. I just thought it was interesting. And mm -hmm. it occurred to me to show yeah. off my knowledge there. Although I usually think of that as the paradox of the grandfather's axe, which is not as familiar to most people, and you can't search it that way on the internet. Grandfather's axe. Yeah. It's the fantasy version, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. I but see that the that current, the current singer was born in the 50s and has been in Uriah Heap since 86. So they've had some stability. He has some longevity. That's not bad. Mm -hmm. Okay. I saw him at Varkin. Okay. That's your heap. I'm yeah. glad you enjoyed it. Gonna have to add some of that to my playlist. Assuming I can get away from Valo and BVB. 
It's been my playlist for like the last month and a half. Well, it will. You will get to it if you put it on shuffle. You'll get to your right heap. That would involve me adding it to that playlist, and it's a very carefully composed playlist. Ah, okay. Make a second one. We'll see. Okay. Tell me what the kitties are doing. Well, it occurred to me, actually, as I was editing previous episodes, that I haven't actually bothered to tell our listeners who the cats are. You know who they are. But if I rattle off names, they don't know. So so let me give an overview of the feline personages in my household. Mm-hmm. The oldest is Stormlight. Yes, she is in fact named after the Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson. Mm-hmm. She turned up on our doorstep a little over almost a decade and a half ago now. With four kittens who were so tiny their eyes weren't even open yet. And I could count her ribs. And that was wholly unacceptable. So I put some food out and I put some water out. And the way she responded to that was uh, it implied that she'd had people before. She She didn't act feral in response. She would let me be reasonably close and she let me look at the kittens and handle them. So she was neither feral nor had she been a mom before and I'm pretty sure that means that when she got pregnant her previous humans threw her out so we took her in and we fed her and got her to the vet and all of that and two of the kittens went to my dad and we kept two of them of those four kittens two are still alive One of them still lives with us, and although initially we named him Salinas because he didn't talk, he uh, made up for that as he got older and became Kronos. And now he is lying on my floor looking at me slightly grumpily. Kronos and Stormlight are kind of... They'll permit me to touch them, but for whatever reason they prefer my husband in general. Like, they don't hate me and they don't hiss at me or anything. But if I reach out to pet Kronos, he will probably duck away and then leave. And the same with Stormlight. Kronos prefers that I touch him only when he comes to tuck us into bed. And then I'm allowed to pet him and he will headbutt me and solicit scritches. And he's become much more social over the last four or five months like usually I wouldn't see him all day but now he like comes into the room and just hangs out with me and if I bring out the box of treats he'll come and get his treats he takes them from me very delicately with his teeth (laughs) and then we have Buddy we don't really know how old Buddy is because Buddy turned up oh four or five months before we left the old house at the beginning of the pandemic and just decided we were his humans he was he was a whole adult male and i could tell that he had gotten in some fights uh he's a very handsome tuxedo boy but there was a period there where we would just put out some food for him and that was it like we didn't truly adopt him but he was very friendly and he did try to walk into the house all on his own a couple times (laughs) And that was part of how he came to have the name Buddy, because he was a buddy. He was friendly. It was also partly in honor of my father's father, whose nickname was Buddy, which I always found slightly odd because he was an introvert. 
<laughs> but it was it was partly that as well. And then Buddy turned up one day for his noms after an absence of a couple of days, and he couldn't walk in a straight line. And he kept sort of pawing at one ear, and that was when I gave in and decided that he was actually ours and took him to the vet. And that's sort of the family rule, is when you take the cat to the vet, they're yours. They're no longer yeah. astray, they're yours. So we took him to the vet and we discovered that he'd been in a fight and his ear had gotten infected to the point that it was affecting his balance. And that's why he couldn't walk straight. So we had to shut him up in the garage and give him ear drops, which he did not appreciate at all. Um, and then when we moved here, he became a house cat buddy. And now he is a large, friendly fellow who has raised two kittens. Mm -hmm. uh, first, there was Marari. And Marari is a purebred ragdoll. If you don't know what ragdoll cats look like, just go look up ragdoll breed. They're, uh, typically, ragdoll cats have the pointed fur pattern, like Siamese. Marari is a seal point, and they're extremely fluffy. Most ragdolls grow to be quite large. Marari is, is a little on the small side for her breed, but that's fine. Uh, and she has these incredible blue eyes. And I adopted Marari and broke my rule of never paying for a cat. Because prior to her, we had kind of accidentally adopted a ragdoll, as in... When I first met up with Michael, he had a cat, and we decided that Phoebe needed uh, companionship because we were both out of the house and working, and a co-worker of mine had some kittens, so we went and adopted one of those, and that was Helios, and he was in no way a purebred ragdoll because all his siblings were black and had short hair, but somewhere in his heritage was a ragdoll, and he was a throwback, and he was huge, but not long after we moved into this house during the first year of the pandemic he basically from stress issues he suffered some very bad uh urinal issues that eventually killed him wow. and he was my baby he was he was my precious boy when i had a rough day when the world was too much i would go stick my face in his tummy and he would purr and i would huff the fluff so when he died, I was just devastated. And I did not want to replace him in that sense. But I really wanted to have another ragdoll around the house. I wanted another sweet, fluffy kitty. So I went looking for actual ragdolls. Because if you just look around for kittens, there's, there's no guarantee. You know, and so that was how Marari came to be adopted. And she was the tiniest, sassiest little thing when she was little. I have a photograph of her looking at the camera with just, I can't even describe how freaking sassy she looks. And that was how she came to have the nickname Sass Kitten. And she's still a sass. That's, that's her way of living. She's a sass. But uh, Buddy helped us raise her. And he was, he was pretty happy about having a kitten around to rough and tumble with. And they were best buds for pretty much since they met. And then Jana came along. Uh, and it's not that Jana broke up their friendship so much as, as if Marari is a sass, Jana is a little shit. Um, Jana came about because one of my husband's co-workers saw someone just abandoned this three-week-old kitten in a Sonic parking lot. Mm. 
Sonic is a fast food joint. Just mm-hmm. leave the kitten. And the lady in question had fostered kittens before, so she knew how to bottle feed the kitten and wean her, but she already had like eight cats and was going, I can't adopt another cat. And for all that my husband and I have joked for years about, you know, no more cats and we're not adopting random kittens off the street, he's a soft touch just as much as I am. And he came home and went, can we adopt this kitten? And I looked at the picture and I listened to the story and I looked around at our cats and I went, okay. And so then there was Jana. And Jana is called Jana because although it's not as obvious as many kitties, she is a chimera. She has split face. One side of her face is much lighter than the other. And so we named her after Janus, the Roman god of doorways, who is traditionally depicted as looking in two directions. Oh. Literally two-faced. And so she became Janna, and Buddy had a new kitten to raise. And uh, Janna's birthday is American Tax Day. April 15th. So she's uh, over a year old now, and she has grown up to be a very long, slinky sort of girl. And she still thinks, she still acts like a kitten. I don't know that she's actually properly grown up yet. But then trying to match cat lifestyle cycles to human ones is generally a lost cause. Some cats are born old. Some cats stay kittens forever. You, you don't know. They're, they're cats. Mm-hmm. But she's still pretty kittenish. And uh, she's taken to bullying Mirari lately, so I'm going to have to do something about that. But at the moment, I've got three of them in here with me, just napping. Mirari may actually be accidentally shut up in the bedroom. She has taken to sleeping under the headboard. And fishing her out of there is not easy. Mm Mm-hmm. Ordinarily, we would leave the bedroom door open, but Kronos, as he has gotten older, has developed a propensity to pee the bed for us. Uh So we just, it's very irritating to go in at 10.30 or 11 and discover you have to change the sheets because the cat peed for you. So we just, we just shoo them all out in the morning and that solves that problem. And Buddy has this, uh, he likes being like a daddy figure yeah he he i don't know that he's fathered any kittens or if he did if he'd know about it but he is like when we brought mirari home it's supposed to be the the way that i learned to introduce new cats to each other is the newest cat should be kept in a separate room with food and water and litter box so that they can get used to kind of the smell of the house and being in a new place you know you give them a little bit to explore at a time And the cats that already live in the house can smell them under the door. And then you have supervised playtime for a couple of weeks. Buddy was not having any of that. We brought Mirari home and I set up her space in the library and he just walked right in. He was, he just insisted he was going to be in that room and he sniffed at her. And then he went and laid under the window and just kind of hung out. And she sniffed at him and I since they weren't hissing or anything and he didn't seem to care when she romped over to him, I just left them alone. Yeah. He had an approach. She liked him. Yeah. Yes. And he did much the same thing with Jana. So so he he's kind of been the, the papa cat. 
Um, what a good boy. He is a good okay. boy. He is a very good boy. They are all very good kitties. Jana was trying last night to help me clean up the food I dropped, which is a habit I don't want to encourage. She's the only one who has shown any interest in people food. None of the others really care about people food, but Jana wants to know what you're eating and she wants to have some. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my comfort foods is macaroni and cheese with cut up sausages in it. And I was talking to my husband and left the bowl sitting on the table right there at my hip. And I, th- I blinked and Jana absconded with a bit of sausage. Like, I was standing right there. He was standing right there. And she still teleported the sausage out of the bowl into her mouth. We still don't know how she pulled that off. (laughs) And then she led us a merry chase in a circle around the house for five minutes trying to get it back from her. Why? You didn't want her to have it? No, I don't want her to get used to eating people food. But she ate it. No, we got it back and then I threw it out. Wow. Okay, so you two have skills. Good for you. Yes, it it took the two of us. Um, and unlike many of the the cats with human food videos on the internet, she didn't ever actually growl at us. She just didn't want to be caught. So, that's that's the that's the cats. Mm-hmm. Okay, you want to tell us about any books you've been reading or any anything uh, you want to share? Let's see. Actually, now that I think of it, as I was rattling off 70s sci-fi authors, I mentioned a particular author that I would, in fact, actually like to introduce you guys to this week. Pretty much everybody who knows anything about sci-fi knows the big three. They know Asimov, Heinlein, Clark. But Anne McCaffrey was, along with Andre Norton, the female sci-fi author of the 70s and 80s. She was the first actual science fiction author I ever read. I picked up her book, Dragonflight, when I was about 13 and just devoured it. And at that point, you could not have persuaded me away from science fiction and fantasy with a nuclear weapon. I had found (laughs) my world. Uh, she is probably best known for the Dragon Riders of Pern series, of which the first published book is, in fact, Dragonflight. I looked into that. Uh, the Dragon Riders of Pern essentially begins, if you read them in publication order, as pure fantasy. And then as you move through the story and you read the different books, it becomes science fiction. Because when you first start the books, you don't it, it's, you know, it's the alternate world kind of thing of there's no idea that there are even any other worlds out there, really. There's no, there's no Earth. There's no, it's just this other world with dragons and, and an existential threat. And then as you move through the stories, you come to find out that, oh, they're on this world because Earth was colonizing. And they never do actually get back in touch with Earth. That never becomes relevant. But they do discover some of the lost and abandoned technology. And they are able to use that to end their existential threat. And there are books later on in the series which then discuss what happens after. 
how does how does the ending of the threat change the world space they're in what do they do with with all the things they knew before and it does address the way that the rapid changes caused by discovering this technology also affect the society so it's pretty good in that way she died oh lord i don't even remember how long ago but there was a period of time in the late 2000s where she was writing with her son and he was carrying forward the books and there are a number of other series and trilogies that she's written including the ship who sang which is an extremely interesting treatment of how disabled people might be addressed in the far future persons who are completely paralyzed especially from birth that kind of thing and if you are a person who has physical disabilities but your brain is fine well then the theory goes in this work we'll just transplant your brain into something else and attach up all of the nerves and things that allow you to move your hands and arms so that you can drive a robot or a ship a spaceship and there's there's some interesting treatment of how that works if you go from from a person who is used to being able to to kind of move on their own and then you end up in something that doesn't move as easily or something that's expensive to maintain um and it's so there's a there's a lot of really interesting stuff there um she did a lot of writing around kind of various ideas that we think of as being pretty normal and pretty standard in sci-fi today um body swaps and and gender changes and things like that oh um and in a lot of ways the dragon riders of pern literally starts out as your traditional young girl's fantasy as as a, a a girl in a bad space gets plucked out and telepathically paired with an amazing mystical creature you know and it starts there and then wow does it go to some different places and again one of the elements of her writing that makes it stand out even from most of the 70s stuff in my opinion is that she never she was never shy about her lead characters being female and she was never shy about how that was relevant to them you know we have one of her other lead characters in the trilogy known as crystal singer originated her her story begins because the character is in fact a trained singer but she's not able to achieve the top of her profession because her voice is somewhat imperfect and many girls confronted with that would go well i don't fucking want to do this anymore and and go somewhere else and that is in fact what the lead character does if i can't be top in this profession i'll go find somewhere i can and there are there's a very frank depiction of what that means to just walk away from everything you've ever known and take what little you have and go somewhere else and what Mm -hmm. that can mean and while there's very little 
uh, frank depiction of sex as sex, there are some discussions of sexuality, and she does have homosexual characters in her books, although if you go research, you will find out that that led to some controversy. Um, McCaffrey was known to be, at least at one point, of the opinion that a nominally straight person could be forcibly made gay if they had gay sex and that that would then never change. Um, There's some controversy there. That does not typically appear in the books, though. That all came up in interviews and such. Mm -hmm. And the books don't really shy away from from hard things. So she had gay characters, but she she didn't... She had gay. She wasn't characters. talking about this way of making a gay person. Right, that was never relevant to the story. But mm-hmm. there were gay characters, and there was discussion of uh, how that changed things in society because the gay characters typically tended to be part of this other special group, and so people would go, "Oh, well, they're dragon riders. That means they can do whatever they want, whereas an ordinary person can't be that way." That kind of thing. So yeah, that's the author I recommend this week, especially if you want to rummage around in authors of the same general time period as the artists we presented to you this week. Anything else you want to say about her? Nope, I think that's the end of the episode, guys. Thank you for listening to Uriah Heap with us, and uh, we'll see you next episode. Remember to grow your hair as long as you want, listen to as much metal as you can, and take care of yourself.